Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because I was open. Mm -hmm. You know, when you see somebody, when you're really listening to them, and they know that you're seeing them, there is a, an honesty that will open up mm -hmm. between both of you. Alright, so, did you live here your whole life, Long Island, or no? No, not at all. Um, I had kind of an interesting life when you think about it. My father was in the Army. He was a career Army man. Uh, I was born in Brooklyn, New York, but then we traveled. I was in 13 different states in eight years of grammar school. So I learned about people and adapting to people pretty quickly. I was an only child, so I had to... Uh, learn how to blend in, be yeah. kind of a chameleon, yeah. especially when there was one year, um, I moved to three different states in fifth grade. I was upstate New York for the beginning of fifth grade, then down to Huntsville, Alabama, talk oh, about a completely different culture, <laughs> yeah. and then from Huntsville, Alabama to Texas in the same year. So each time it's how quickly can you adapt yeah. and, and find your place Mm -hmm. in, in any any surrounding, really. Yeah. I'm an only child as well. Did you like, do you like that or no? It has its ups and downs, yeah. like you know, if yeah. you're an only child. I think like the, the, the con is you always feel as though other people in your life have their siblings and there's a certain amount of, gee, I wish I had that, especially when I moved around a lot. It would have been nice to have someone to commiserate with. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, I remember going over to my friends' houses when I was younger, and their siblings were battling and fighting with them, and I'd say, let's go over to my house where it's quiet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, it did make me more introspective. Mm -hmm. um, I was an avid reader. Mm -hmm. My books were my friends. And I think that's where I developed like a kind of a wild imagination yeah you know i i was i let myself imagine yeah. different things through reading through stories and such yeah me too me too what kind of books did you like to read like oh i loved everything i loved everything i love historical uh fiction mm -hmm. uh and anything based on that i loved anything to do with with science anything to do with nature it's interesting my my taste in music and my taste in books is right across the board. Everything in music from opera to country western to rock, good old fashioned rock and roll. You know, <laughs> it all depends on the mood. And I books think. Is the same exact thing. Yeah, I think what happens is when you do a lot of moving around, when you have a lot of changes in your life, you open up more facets in your mind, mm -hmm. more possibilities. You open yourself up to people differently. Yeah. You see the beauty and and. And their differences. Yeah. You start to appreciate that. From and traveling? I, yeah, from yeah. traveling so much. Because you see different environments, you oh, see different Oh, different culture. religions, different cultures, the way people lived, even on the army base. Yeah. You know, there were uh, a lot of servicemen that married people from different countries. So yeah. you always had this diversity in mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what opened my mind to wanting to read different kinds of books and listen to different kinds of music. I almost wa grew up wanting to embrace it all, mm -hmm. you know. Then when did you start getting into like? Did you start getting into personal development books and like success books and stuff like that? 
Well, I think what happened to that is like as you read stories about different people and, and different situations, the mind starts to think about what am I capable of doing? Mm-hmm. What can I do? Mm-hmm. Um, I always was drawn to healing and helping, the healing and helping profession. Uh, for as long as I can remember, I always wanted to be a nurse or a healer. Mm-hmm. And um, back then, in the old day... Did you ever uh, think you'd start your own business or no? Never. No. Never. It was It was never a thought. Yeah. You know, my father always was in service to his country, being told what to do and when to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I grew up that my father said, oh, you want to be a nurse? That's great. Mm-hmm. He never even talked about being a doctor. Yeah. You know, it was just kind of, you know, a nurse is a good thing. Yeah. Uh, so that's where I, I thought I was going to be. I was yeah. going to be a nurse. I was going to work for a hospital mm-hmm. and be in service to people. Yeah. Um, I never thought about owning my own business or having my own business. It just wasn't uh, on the playing field at the time. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So you did become a nurse, right? You became a nurse practitioner. Yeah, I I got married fairly young. Okay. Uh, I'm from the Woodstock age. Actually, was <laughs> <laughs> dappled and was there. Yeah. Um, but through the years, I I was called back to wanting to become a nurse. So I went back into nursing after my children uh, were born. I had three children, and I went back into nursing after that. And in nursing and working in the hospitals and such. I, I found a passion for being connected to people. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just what I was doing medically with them. I wanted to know about them. I always saw them more than than their disease. And mm-hmm. I worked predominantly with cancer patients. Okay. Um, but I always wanted to know more or I saw more to, to who they were as human beings. Mm-hmm. I saw their wholeness, not just their the part that was broken. Mm-hmm. And... That was very special to me. I considered it very sacred mm-hmm. to be in that, that space with somebody who is going through some of the greatest challenge of their life. You Were know, you and able to get them to open up to you and like Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because I was open. Mm-hmm. You know, when you see somebody, when you're really listening to them mm-hmm. and they know that you're seeing them there is uh, an honesty that will open up mm-hmm. between both of you, you know, and um, that was to me one of the greatest things. But then as I as time went on and you start to learn about people and what they need, I knew there were things that were missing. There was more that I wanted for my patients, and that's when I decided to become a nurse practitioner. Mm-hmm. I wanted a little more autonomy. Mm-hmm. I think maybe that's where the entrepreneur started to creep in, meaning that I knew medically what they needed and I didn't want to have to chase after, you know, the the medical students or the interns to get orders. I, I wanted to be able to take care of their needs firsthand. Mm-hmm. So I decided to become a nurse practitioner, still worked full time okay. and went to school full time. Where was this? This is when you were in New York? This is in New York. We had yeah. come back to New York when I was in high school. My mother had gotten sick. Yeah. Uh, she developed multiple sclerosis and got very sick. So dad wanted to bring her here where family was for family support. Mm-hmm. And we lost her when she was 45. 
Um, but uh, we came back to New York, and when I got married and through my marriages, <clears throat> there were more than one, uh, I ended up on Long Island, yeah. and uh, that's where I went to school, yeah. to Farmingdale for nursing, and then Stony Brook. Oh, see? Great. I loved Farmingdale. Great school. Yeah. Like, that's where I got my RN, yeah. my associates, and then my, my baccalaureate and my master's at Stony Brook. But something amazing happened yeah. during that period of time. And while I was working with my, my patients, um, I was introduced to a, a woman. Her name uh, was Martha Barron okay. uh, at Winthrop. And she was doing energy work mm -hmm. on, on patients. Now, this is in the early 90s. Uh, she was calling it therapeutic touch. And I remember walking in the room and seeing her laying her hands on patients or around them as a nurse. And very quietly, I was watching these patients respond. Mm -hmm. um, their pain level would diminish a bit, not completely, but a bit. They would relax, they would feel more peaceful. And I became very, very interested on what she was doing mm -hmm. and how she was doing it. And around the same time at Stony Brook, I took a, a class called uh, Alternatives to Healing. Mm -hmm. And it was an elective class that explored everything from acupuncture to meditation to hypnotherapy mm -hmm. to energy work. They had mm -hmm. guest speakers come in. And it opened up this whole other world for me. I'm a very science person, a very left-brainer. Mm -hmm. But it started to open up those other facets of mm -hmm. my mind, of things that could be done beyond what we would, we would typically do mm -hmm. in, in conjunction with, not yeah. in replacement, like, but as adjunct together. Yeah. And I started to take classes on meditation, and I would meditate regularly, quieting my mind and, and being more introspective. Yeah. And then when I started to work with my patients, after opening that part of myself, and I think that's really what it is, another facet of yourself, I started to know more about them than even what they were telling me. Mm -hmm. I got this other sense of them mm -hmm. uh, and then I started to sense things about them like I would mention you know they their sister that they hadn't seen in a while thinking they had told me about that and it turned out they never did and we would have this banter oh yeah. you must have told me and you forgot no I never told you about my sister and I, it felt a little odd at first, and I thought maybe I was working too hard. Yeah. Uh, I never believed in psychics. I never went for a reading. I never played with a Ouija board. Yeah, yeah. That wasn't my background. You know, my background was Catholic school and army life, yeah, yeah. you know, and medicine. Yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't fitting into the framework yeah, of those things at all. Yeah. And... I remember thinking, this is odd, and then it started to happen more and more. Mm -hmm. And I was taking classes uh, with, who's now my husband, Dr. William Basman. I was taking classes on spirituality and metaphysics and, and 
meditation. Mm -hmm. And it seemed the more I worked on myself and opening up to my more intuitive gifts or my right brain, mm -hmm. the more I was sensing and feeling mm -hmm. about my patients and the people around me. Um, to the point that I could even sense when something else was going on in their body other than what the test results were showing. And it was a little freaky, mm -hmm. you know, to, to start to feel these things and not know what to do with them. And I remember saying uh, to, to William, you know, I don't know what's going on. So but you were married to Bill before this happened? No, we were not married. He was actually my professor oh, <laughs> at Stony Brook because I was working uh, for my master's in that class on alternatives to healing. Okay. He was teaching that, that elective So this there. is before the, whole, the medium? Yeah, all, all before all okay. that. Okay. So then as time was going on, I would sense people okay that weren't exactly there okay in the room so it'd I would, be like you and a patient it was me most and of a stuff patient one -on -one. it was you always one-on-one -on -one. okay i would be with a patient and i would get a sense or a feeling of like let's say a man in the room and I would turn and look and I wouldn't see anybody, mm -hmm. but I would get this feeling. And then I would get this feeling of, that's all I can explain, explain it, a feeling of brother, let's say. Mm -hmm. And it would turn out that my patient had a brother who passed away. So that's how you like found out that you were a medium? Yep. Really? That's how just I from, found out just so from... So did one day you just open up to it? Was there one experience that like you can remember? I think, I think that there was two defining moments. Mm -hmm. One is while I was learning how to meditate, and I was going on these guided visualizations or these guided journeys, mm -hmm. and i got to be very honest with you. Other people in the class would be seeing things, and they would see the waterfall that was being described in these guided journeys, and I never saw anything. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would just feel very, very relaxed. Yeah. You know, That's I almost how felt. I when I meditate. Right. Yeah, same way. Like, kind of like suspended, mm -hmm. there, but not there, present, but not present. I like, like the breathing techniques, and I like just kind of getting rid Absolutely. of my anxiety and stuff like that. Yeah. That letting go. Yeah. But yet still feeling like you're actually in more control. Mm -hmm. It sounds like an oxymoron, letting go, but yet feeling more in control because you're letting go of the yatter and the chatter. And now you're just in control of your own breath yeah. and your own presence in that moment. You know, so it's a really neat feeling. Yeah. But I never really got anything. And there was one particular day, and William likes to talk about this, where he was taking everybody on a guided journey to ancient Egypt. And I remember laying there with my eyes closed and listening to him talk about the pyramids and such. Mm -hmm. And thinking, oh, that's nice, you know. But all of a sudden, I got an image of a teepee. And it was the funny, not seeing it like, uh, like I'm seeing you. Just, it was a thought. Like if I say to you, think about a teepee right now, you would have an image in your mind based on a picture you've seen, or mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, I got this thought or this image of a, of a teepee. 
And I thought, oh, this is great. He's talking about pyramids and I'm seeing teepees, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and, you know, all the Same all the old Polish jokes from when I was a kid came through because I'm, I'm Polish <laughs> <laughs> with a maiden name of Jaswinski. But <laughs> here I am seeing this teepee and I, instead of trying to make it a pyramid, I said, okay, well, if it's a teepee, I guess I can imagine an Indian and I would allow my, I allowed myself to think about what an Indian would look like. And it was an older Indian that came to mind, again, thought in my mind. And I imagined his feathers on his head, a headdress. I imagined that his skin would be darkened by the sun and, you know, a little weathered. Mm -hmm. But I imagined that his eyes would be very dark and very wise just from what he knew about the earth and the land, because I'm very connected mm -hmm. to the, the earth and the animals. I've always have been. And I looked into his eyes in my mind, and all of a sudden his eyes turned blue. And he slowly, I saw the face of my father who had passed away three months before. Wow. And it, it took my breath away. It really, because I didn't expect it. I didn't ask for it. This was in a classroom? In a classroom, yep, in a group, in mm -hmm. a group doing a guided imagery. And it was interesting because in the distance I could hear William still talking, describing Egypt and such, and here I am looking in my mind face to face with my father. I could feel him. I could feel his nature. I could sense him. I could almost smell him that smell of old spice that he used to use when I was a kid you know and all of a sudden it's like he took me on this journey of every loving moment every time he ever showed me love um, the whole time that he was alive mm -hmm. and it was very emotional and I remember bringing myself back almost startling myself mm -hmm. and thinking was that my imagination? You it know, felt real. wow. But it felt so real. Yeah. It felt so, so real and it conflicted in my head and mm -hmm. a lot of things bounced around in my mind. Mm -hmm. Well, from that moment forward, every time I went on any kind of a guided journey, mm -hmm. I just allowed whatever thoughts came to me and I started to go different places in, right. in, in my mind. And then when I started back working with my patients, mm -hmm. I started to see and sense people that were around them that had crossed over in, in, into God's light. So do you guys go into like a meditative state like during a session? How does that work? Is that how you're able yeah, to? Yeah, it was actually, it's because when you do a guided journey, mm -hmm. You're actually going, it's, it's, a, it's bringing you guided meditation. Mm -hmm. Meditation in its purest form is just focusing on something. Mm -hmm. And it's usually focusing on your breath, you know, or focusing on a word like mm -hmm. in, in transcend, transcendental meditation. Mm -hmm. uh, or focusing, watching a flame dancing. You know, that can bring you into a meditative state. Mm -hmm. Guided journeys or guided meditation, there's somebody that's describing mm -hmm. 
a place on like a story, and yeah. you're focusing on your, the story so it's bringing your focus out of the noise of your mind okay but the the goal is always to go to get to that quiet stillness mm-hmm. you know that that place of peace but very often it can bring you into your deeper mind where you can access what i believe everybody has i believe we all have this connection call it spiritual call it energy um, i'm not going to get into semantics about it but this connection this access to the all to the collective consciousness if you want to call it god by any name mm-hmm. but i think we all have that that energetic connection mm-hmm. but it's in that deeper place of our mind underneath all the noise and mm-hmm. the clatter it's in that that subconscious. that subconscious it's like 10,000 times more powerful right? absolutely it's in that deeper part and i think that's where some of our greatest scientists uh, and our greatest artists and our greatest musicians that ever lived how they created i believe they i'm going to use the word channeled tapped into mm-hmm. or channeled a greater collective knowledge mm-hmm. or vision and they chose to accept that and to work with that and run with that and trust it. So a lot of people, when they hear the word channeling, they think of in the spiritual and metaphysical, channeling the words or the voices of master teachers, master prophets or angels, all right? Or in mediumship, channeling the words of someone who's passed away. But I believe we channel creativity mm-hmm. i mean before there was a light bulb one never existed mm-hmm. where did that that thought come 100%. from even just you a know. phone imagine the idea of this, this yeah. iphone 100 years ago and it's it's tapping tapping into that telling somebody that they think you were out of your mind absolutely well yeah. things from when i was a kid till now yeah exactly i would have never dreamed of yeah you know that that we see around us and such so it's, it's channeled knowledge, it's channeled information, insight, I believe, and creativity, coupled with the knowledge that we collect here of how to bring it into this world. Mm-hmm. So when you hear the expression, we're here to bring our gifts into this world, I believe we're here to go into that that state, that meditative state, that reflective state, mm-hmm. tap into our gifts, and then using the knowledge and the wisdom that we collect here of how now do we bring that into this world? Mm-hmm. How do we bring that collective love and that wisdom into this world to make it a better place? So the mediumship, mm-hmm. all this stuff kind of happened to me. I, you know, I didn't look for it. I didn't ask for it. Um, and I needed to understand it. Mm-hmm. It had because of my left brain. I had to understand how is this possible. What's left brain, right brain? What is it? They usually typically consider the left brain the intellectual, where you all the knowledge that that you collect, all the words, all the things that you you learn while you're here. Where the right brain is the more creative. the creative, the artistic, the more spatial, okay. Okay. you know, part of our, our mind. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a clear division. I think we work with both parts of ourselves, but I don't think we're taught to use all. 
mm-hmm. of our of our gifts and our abilities. Mm-hmm. So it feels odd. It feels weird. I had to resolve within myself: was this against my religion or my faith mm-hmm. to be connecting to people who have passed away? You know what was that about? I, I couldn't understand, and I remember going, were actually... Were you religious? You were religious? I, I was always very... Well, I was brought up mm-hmm. very religious in the Catholic religion, mm-hmm. but I was always more spiritually based, meaning I always saw the beauty of every religion and every faith. Mm-hmm. I, I knew it was just different ways that people expressed you know, their gifts or tried to understand the unseen or what we call God. Mm-hmm. And it was just different rituals or philosophies. And I think they're all beautiful. And I was mm-hmm. always fascinated by that. But with the mediumship, it was that defining moment. So I had the defining moment in the meditation of being able to get out of my own way mm-hmm. and, and see my father. Moment. And then the second defining moment is I was in a patient's room who was passing away. A gentleman uh, who was divorced with no children and he had only his sister that was coming to see him and I was standing at bedside next to his sister in the last moments of his life and he was not verbal at that time mm-hmm. and I felt somebody walk into the room to the right of me she was to the left of me and her brothers the head of his bed was to the left of me and I turned and I looked and there was a man standing next to me and he had on a, a like a work shirt, you know, like an almost like an IZOD kind of work shirt where they embroider your name like when you work for a company, mm-hmm. you know. No, no, yeah. And there his name okay. was embroidered on, on his shirt. And I turned and I looked at him and I leaned over and I whispered to him, you know, can I help you? And he said and he put his finger up to his mouth, like to shh me. And he whispered very gently, I'm his brother. I just came to let him know that I was here. And I said, oh, okay. And I turned to the sister and I said, your brother is here to let your other brother know that he's here for him before he passes. And she looked at me and she said, our brother died. And I turned again, and the guy was gone. And I got to tell you, it freaked me out. Because up until then, I would sense, I would get images in my mind. I had never seen seen. And it almost felt third dimensional in that moment. It It was actually like there. Yeah. There was a person. Oh, he was there. He was was there. I mean, I leaned right against him. Yeah. He was there. By it wasn't like a hologram that Mm -hmm. I could move through. I would have realized that it was very real. Mm -hmm. And she started to cry, Mm -hmm. and her brother then was starting to take his last breaths, and all of a sudden he smiled. The one who was passing away who had not been responsive and one tear came out of his eye and I just heard the brother who passed say I'm here I've got him and then he took his last breath and he left it was a defining moment yeah it was a a defining moment that you can't I can describe it to you 
But what it did to my whole belief system, talk mm. about shaking things up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really shaking things up. Yeah. And then the question became, why me? Mm-hmm. And what do I do with this? That, yeah, so what was next? Well, I had always been taking classes after I graduated. I had continued taking classes with William because he, out of his office in Smithtown, did classes on spirituality and meditation and such. So I continued to do that. And this this thing just kept getting stronger. Not so much seeing people so much, but knowing that someone who had passed away was around. Could you control it? Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny, and I and I give full credit to William for that, because he said to me, if you believe in free will and a loving God or creator, then it should be something that you can ask for or not ask for at any given moment so it doesn't disrupt your life. That's why I don't... I don't resonate with people who say, you know, that they can't control it and that dead people are popping in and out of their life. I don't believe that they can't control it because why would a loving creator or loving energy Mm -hmm. want your life to be totally disrupted? Mm -hmm. This, I believe, is something we're all capable of doing. You think it's more of a gift rather than... I believe that everybody has it. Everyone has mediumship? I believe everybody has it. Yep, I believe we are all capable of tuning in. I think it's when you tune into that deepest part of yourself that's connected to the all. And then if you're connected to the people in your life and you're tuning into them, it somehow almost creates this space for the consciousness of someone that they've loved to be present. And I believe that energy cannot be destroyed. That's basic science. Mm -hmm. I believe energy contains data and information. So that's the left brain (laughs) talking, making sense of it. So it would make sense that we would be able to it's like changing the channel on an old radio where you turn the dial. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, tuning into a different frequency mm-hmm. and then trusting what you get. Mm-hmm. And I and I think that's part of our intuitive gifts. I okay. believe that we weren't just thrown here and said good luck to you. I think we have this intuitive ability and we just aren't taught to use it. We're taught to be just in the intellect. We're mm-hmm. not taught to use the greater part of ourselves. We're just not. Do you believe that it's like is, there's different gifts? Is that yours yeah, I, and then someone else has something else? I, I believe it manifests in different ways. Okay. I believe everybody has the ability to channel okay. and channel information. and Channel whether it's like creativity in life or like, like music or, or like something yeah, like that. Like or anything. channel divine guidance. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I believe that everybody who wants to mm-hmm. and, and trust it, and as long as they're doing it from a place of love, mm-hmm. that it's very, very possible for everybody. And and we've done that. So with, with William and I, we had another partner, Patty, who passed away. We decided that we wanted to teach people about their beauty, about their love, mm-hmm. about their abilities. We wanted to help 
people in a different way mm -hmm. um, alongside of what regular science would. We wanted to help people learn about energy work and energy healing. Mm -hmm. We want people to be more aware of all of their gifts and all of their potentials. Mm -hmm. And we wanted people to be able to connect to their spiritual belief or faith, whatever that was, but to do so in a, in a deeper and a more meaningful way. Mm -hmm. That's why we opened Pathways. And I remember we sat the three of us and said, are we really going to do this? We're going to open up a business. We're going to be entrepreneurs yeah. and open up a center for what are we doing here? Yeah. And, and and we had this vision. That was 22 years ago. Now. That 22 years yeah. ago. Uh, well, actually, we were open 22 years. So you think it was 23 years ago when we sat one night at 2 o'clock in the morning, the three of us, and said, Patty was an educator from upstate New York. Mm -hmm. William is psychotherapist. And I'm a nurse practitioner. And we yeah. said, do we take our professions mm -hmm. and risk putting them on the line? Now, did you leave your jobs or did you stay at them? The first year, I, I continued. Uh, actually, first two years almost, I continued to work as a nurse practitioner. Just for financial support? Like just to help yourself out financially? Or? Well, I love that work too. Yeah, you did love it. I love that work too, mm -hmm. you know. Um, it was also a big part of me. Mm -hmm. and, um, well, did you and bring also, that work into what you were doing with Pathways? I think I brought the work interchangeably into both places. I think the more I grew as a, a spiritual being and a human being, mm -hmm. the more effective I was in my work as a, an NP. Mm -hmm. And I believe the more I worked as an NP and understood and chose to see humanity in, in, in all of its its finest and all of its not so great uh, and bring that into my spirituality I, I just grew I feel I've gained as much if not more than what we've given the people that have come to us but when we opened our doors it was it was taking a chance there weren't a lot of centers out there that were doing this. And there certainly weren't healthcare professionals that were teaching meditation, <laughs> metaphysics, spirituality, mm -hmm. angel studies, mm -hmm. <laughs> hands-on healing, energy work at that time. Mm -hmm. They just weren't. And, and we got some flack. We, you know, we were told we were a little quacky and, and whatever, but the way I, I've always seen it is we just chose to use everything that we came into this world with mm -hmm. all the aspects mm -hmm. and that's why we called it pathways yeah. to health we believe there's many pathways mm -hmm. and science is as important as spirituality yeah but you bring the two things together mm -hmm. and now you're working with all your cylinders firing yeah because the mind is so powerful too oh it is like i've it, seen yeah. it over and over yeah. and over again that could be an hour talk. Mm -hmm. I think I, I shared with you guys once mm -hmm. about the power of the mind. I had um, two patients come in for chemotherapy mm -hmm. when I was working at the hospital. And we would try to put, uh, they would come in for a weekend. They'd come in on a Friday, mm -hmm. get hydrated, get pre-meds, get their chemo all day Saturday, and then on Sunday be discharged, more fluids and discharged on Sunday. Mm -hmm. And we had these two men 
come into this. It was a semi-private room. Mm-hmm. Uh, one came in first. They both had lung cancer, both in the same stage of lung cancer, same cell type. They were about two or three years apart, so the same age bracket. Mm-hmm. Both of them had no other health conditions. In other words, they didn't have any underlying heart disease, kidney disease, diabetes. You know, this was basically what they were dealing with was this lung cancer. It was their first treatment. The first guy who came in when I sat and I took his intake, you always take an intake when they come in, his languaging was, come on, when are we going to get this start? This stuff started? You know, I got it. I got a life to live. Come on, let's get, he called them Pac-Man. Let's get these Pac-Man going. They, you know, when are you going to, and he was disappointed when I said we were hanging the chemo in the morning that the night before was pre-meds and, and, and hydration. Ah, oh, come on, we got to get this going, you know. Uh, that was his attitude. Customer number two or patient number two came in and he said, when are you hanging the poison? I know that this is going to kill me. I've watched my whole family die from cancers. I'm only here because my family wants me to do this. That was his belief. Totally different attitude. Totally different attitude. Patient number one lived almost two years, with which his diagnosis, by the way, was a year longer than expected, even with treatment, and lived quality life. Going away with his family, working. He never seemed to get a lot of the complications uh, of the, you know, he would get nauseous and stuff and his immune system would go down a little bit. But he basically did very well during his treatment. But I believe that was a lot of his mindset. He changed his diet. He exercised, you know, uh, he cleaned up his act. He made peace. I always say, you know, I learned through this that you can die healed, not cured, but healed, healing relationships with yourself and others. You know, the other guy, in his third month, he passed away from from side effects and infections and complications. Now, you could say, oh, maybe it had something to do with their immune system or whatever. I don't think anyone's ever going to convince me that it didn't have a lot to do mindset. with mindset, mm-hmm. but also the mindset that made this other guy embrace exercising and changing his diet and all those other things that worked along with it. Yeah. Mind and body. Yeah. And spirit. Yeah. 100%. That's awesome. Good stuff. Yeah. So it's been a great journey. Yeah. So it like, really has. How does it all relate to like entrepreneurship, like taking that journey? I think the entrepreneurship, by what I learned is we both went into this. Mm-hmm. You know, William was a psychotherapist and he did have a private practice, but you know, it was a, you know, one-on-one private practice. And mm-hmm. like I said, Patty was an educator, teacher up in uh, Rochester. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had very different backgrounds, but we really didn't have business business background and it was a learning curve Mm -hmm. let me tell you from trying to get loans from the bank you know the bank saying to you you want to do what (laughs) you know they could understand if we were going to be a a chiropractic office or even a massage therapy place even an acupuncture place but you're going to teach what you know meditation spirituality what energy work so we couldn't get loans Mm -hmm. to open up 
our business. We had to learn about becoming an LLC, you know, and what that meant. I never even heard of those. I never took business classes. We had to learn about what that was. And we had to find the money. And we did. You know, we sold everything that we could sell and threw in money together to open up our center. We had to learn about leasing we had to learn about advertising what works and what doesn't work and how it's different for different professions and different businesses but i also learned it's being in charge of your own life mm -hmm. and being able to practice what you believe and the way you believe it it's really being able to live and be your whole truth mm -hmm. and not half or part of your truth. Mm -hmm. It's finding ways of expressing your gifts and your creativity on your terms. Yeah. And I believe that when you do that, it's always going to be a win-win. Mm -hmm. Now, there are downsides to oh, entrepreneurship. <laughs> uh, there's not that set salary. It's not that working 40 hours mm -hmm. for 40 years to retire on 40%. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, people do it all the time. Yeah. But there isn't that set salary. Yeah. When you go on vacation, there's no income coming in yeah. unless you have the type of business, and there are many, where you have a staff and you have people working with you. Mm -hmm. And once you build a good staff, and if you learn to be a good leader and a good business person mm -hmm. and, and you have that in your organization, then now you can have leverage of your time. Yeah. You know, so that kind of entrepreneurship is great yeah. because if you put in the time in the beginning and it's sacrifice, it's time, it owns you in the beginning. But if you put in the time and you build your businesses right, mm -hmm. and if you can duplicate that out in your business, mm -hmm. you will see a time where you're always going to have to have your finger on the pulse, always, mm -hmm. if you're going to succeed well. Mm -hmm. But if you can train and teach and develop other leaders within your business, yeah. it can give you a life like no other business ever can. Yeah. Like working for somebody else can never, ever do yeah because you just have control of like yep. your own time financially wealthy people yeah. have learned to have many people work with them and it's for hard to them. gain trust for other people too yeah. that's like the toughest so part it's about a lot of self-development yeah, yeah. i think if you're thinking about being an entrepreneur what i would suggest is that every every week of your life you are reading or taking classes or growth. doing something on growth and your own self-development yeah. Because the more you develop as a person, the more you can have that in your group. I think business lines up so perfectly with life. Like just yeah. the journey of business, you know? Like I really feel like it's the same Absolutely. thing. It's all about growth. Absolutely. And and doing something where you're a fee for service like we are mm -hmm. can be a little more trying. Mm -hmm. Because again, if we're not working, we're not earning. Exactly. You know, so that can be a little bit trying. Mm -hmm. um, but we had a vision in the beginning of teaching and training people mm -hmm. through our classes to become teachers and trainings, mm -hmm. trainers of our classes. Mm -hmm. And um, we're just now really starting to do that and put that in place for a lot of reasons. Number one, I want to have a little more time freedom. Yeah. You know, and also number two, I want to leave a legacy. Mm -hmm. 
I don't want it to end with William and I. Yeah. I want other people that were touched in any way by anything that we did to go on and do the same. So let's wrap up with that. What do you want to be remembered for? That's a big question. I hope that we're remembered for creating a safe and sacred place mm -hmm. where people could, without any fear, be able to tap into their greatest potential, mm -hmm. to look at every aspect of themselves, and to love every bit of it along the way. I hope we created that for people. I hope awesome. we created that space. Awesome. Great. Great. Good stuff. Thank you so much. Well, thank I appreciate you. it. Thank you, Judith.